Hey, bookworms, this is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. Today's episode features a chat with poet Erin Hoover. Um, we were discussing her recently released collection, No Spare People. Um, so that collection, that book is available now for those of you who are interested. I really enjoyed this conversation with Erin. We got real about motherhood, um, just kind of sharing, you know, the same struggles and insights. And I really appreciated how um, authentic and just really truthful that um Aaron was during this conversation talking about how her personal experiences drove her to um to bring this collection and her thoughts to the world. Uh, but either way, I'll let you guys get to it. Here is Aaron Hoover. So today we've got Aaron People is available with me today to chat about it. Um, I found sorry, I found your um a lot of the poems is like so powerful and thought perfect. Like doing background on you, I'm. And just other people's opinions about the work. I'm just like, I'm excited to, d- to dive a little bit deeper today into, you know, what, how this came to be. That sounds great. I'm ready. Yeah. Perfect. So can you uh, go into like, you know, maybe give a little summary of the collection so people um, can kind of follow along with the conversation? Sure. Uh, so, so I wrote No Spare People between, I think it was 2018 and 2022 so that's four years that were um they were fraught for me i know as a person (laughs) a lot went on in my life but i think a lot went on um kind of socially and culturally as well which the book tries to speak to um particularly just this frustration and like what the heck is happening (laughs) with um our government with with um i mean it's not a political book but but just it seemed like the economy was falling apart it was it was crazy i was job hunting during covid mm-hmm. um with you know a toddler and uh, it was it was a rough time to be a young parent and and so um you know the book talks about that pretty frankly yeah yeah, it's kind of in your face about it, <laughs> but it's like, it's just kind of, that's why it's like, that that's, speaks to the powerful, like, um, the powerful, like the power of words, right? And just the kind of, how, how are you going to express your message and your frustration and just being like, just bring it, bringing attention to, to, to things, you know, because it, it's a lot of it's like, you know, with your background, if you could go into that a little bit, like, where you had a you know a newborn right or you had a toddler you you adopted correct or no you went through specific other other uh fertility treatments to to bring yeah to, let me know, let me produce. go into that because yeah I, yeah because that's I a huge my... part of like your 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 collection here <laughs> yeah so um i had i had moved around a lot and you know i'd gone to graduate school um i was studying creative writing in florida and I realized, you know, if I'm going to have a child, I'm going to have to do it now. It's not a good time. It's <laughs> mm. not a great time in my life to do this. But but biologically, this is what I need to do. Um, I didn't really have any money to do that. Mm. Uh, I didn't have a partner. Um, you know, I'm also a queer person. So it was it was, it was just like, OK, how am I going to do this? And I, I looked into different options. Uh, I did look into adoption. Um, I realized that even though the way I went. Um, which is IVF using donor sperm is a fairly expensive option, but it's yeah. not as expensive as adoption. Yeah. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, I sort of rolled the dice and I took out two credit cards and maxed them out uh, to do this. And I just was like, I hope it works. And um, 
I was really fortunate to have a daughter. She's six now. Um, but, you know, I, I graduated um, from my program with no job lined up mm. and a two month old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, really quick, I didn't have anything approaching any kind of maternity. Um, you know, I was teaching adjuncting um, mm-hmm. a little over a week after giving birth to her. Um, so I was, you know, literally still bleeding and doing that. And, um, you know, then I graduated and, um, found a job as a magazine writer, but kept trying to get back into teaching. So a lot of the time, the time period of this book is, you know, I'm not, I'm not working full time. I'm essentially working full time teaching, um, trying to write on top of that. And then I had a young kid. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's a lot, especially for one person. For sure. Like I have, I have two kids and um, they're six and three. And even then I'm just like, and I, I hear these sentiments about like how, you know, how do single parents do it? Which I'm, I'm also like kind of the same of that, of that same opinion. Cause it's just a lot. And it's just like, it takes a lot. And, and that's if you have the support that you need, right. That's if you're financially secure or if, you know, yeah. you're emotionally secure. And as we know, as, as moms who have given birth, who've been, you know, pregnant and, postpartum and all that it's like it just messes with you in in so many ways and it takes a long time to kind of just get your mind back on track and and you know essentially just and I think you know you're just like you're you're a new mom and you're trying to like figure things out you're trying you know you're you're exploring you're discovering yourself as a parent right like the new role in your life and how you know, how you're going to be and how it is to like, what it means to raise a child and in the day to day. But then like how I can't imagine how, you know, you made it through with struggling to find a job and you didn't have anything secure lined up. Like, you didn't, you know, health insurance, what's that? Like what all of that? It's just so many. I became pretty passionate about saving the Affordable Care Act at the time. um, Because... I had health insurance because of that. Yeah. Um, And that was sort of part of my calculus of, can I have, can I have a child? Is I I didn't, I didn't imagine that I would be paying out of pocket for health insurance. um, At least not at kind of the the private rates that I was seeing. Yeah. Um, So that was, that was part of it. But then, um, you know, I had, I had a number of friends who really helped me at that time, which I, I'm lucky that 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 happened. I also think that a few things happened, like um, with my first book, you know, I finished that book and sent it to a competition, like literally the day I went to the hospital to have my daughter. I was like, I if I don't publish this, I'm going to die. <laughs> mm. Like, I, I couldn't imagine anything like, would I even write? I, I didn't know. Um, and so the something, um, the composition of this book is unique in that um, so much of it was information and observations that I saved up over years, but didn't write, Yeah, um, didn't have time to write. And then um, I got a writing residency and my parents took care of my daughter for a few weeks and I wrote this book essentially. Um, so it had that kind of like fevered, like you yeah. know, just writing it all down um, because that felt like the first chance I had had to do it. So I think that maybe the some of the book's intensity might come from that. Um, <laughs> I was like desperate to say these things um, because I, you know, when you're a writer, 
you can just not write again. Like no one's going to like cry. No one's going to like be like, oh no, where's Aaron? Where Where's Aaron's poems? Like I, I miss her poet. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like I was like, I have to do this myself. Like that it had to, the drive to do it had to come from me. And I had to really, I mean, I'm lucky my health held up, frankly. Sure. Is another thing I have. I think about all the time, just the privilege of being able to like do that kind of that kind of grind. Honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, that's not something that. It's just so many factors that could yeah. that could go wrong or or play into that big picture. And um, you know, yeah, definitely the support system. I'm glad that you know you you had that to an extent and now i'm like i don't know like we got a good handle on it now but even when i first became a new mom i was like what like it was just i was just trying to take it one day at a time really (laughs) but it's just it's so rough and you know you have uh, we lucky that we have you know both my husband and i we still have our our parents in the picture so they have been helping out immensely and you know, just in general with the people who your friends and your family members who just get excited and they want to help you. And I think it's it because it's maybe a little bit easier to talk about it now, or maybe it's just that conversation is more public and it's just like, no, like childbirth is crazy. You know, taking care of a child when you're still bleeding or you're still recovering yourself. That's, that's crazy. Like it's all, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize it. And, and, I fairly had like a, I would say I had like an uneventful, you know, um, pregnancy and labor and delivery. So I Mm -hmm. felt like everything was pretty business as usual. So, um, you know, boring is good. So just, you know, to an extent anyway, but yeah, just my best friend, she had like, oh my God, what what was it called? Postpartum like preeclampsia or something like she had to deliver early because she had high blood pressure and then her blood pressure wasn't going down so she had like after being discharged she had to leave her baby at home with her husband to be readmitted to the hospital to take care of herself and it was just so i'm just like thinking like oh my god that's just like one thing that's one thing that women might have to go through after becoming a mom and um you know as much as i like I'm so grateful for my husband. Like he, you know, he turned, he he was an awesome partner. Um, you know, when the baby was born and it was the second child was born too. But even though, even then I'm just like, you know, like, (laughs) it's like, you don't have to, it's like, you don't have to breastfeed. You don't have to get woken up. And I was like, just, I don't know, just these things that come to mind where I'm like, I, I, it's, it's, it's still well, so sleep much on, on, on sleep the when the baby sleeps is yeah. the, the, the ridiculous thing that like, I just wanted to punch people when they said and that. I was like, well, that's, <laughs> yeah, like that would I'm like, be except ideal. That's when I have to do my like literal work that I exactly. do for, like to earn money to live. <laughs> yeah, so, ex- exactly. And it's that's different what I'm doing like, when the baby sleeps. <laughs> Yeah, especially for someone like you who wasn't, you know, you yeah. didn't have like a formal medical leave, right? You had to yeah. get back out there and and survive, right? And I yeah, I mean I just commend you. Like I I think I have my um my cousin's wife at the time, she as soon as her two weeks of PTO were up, she went back to work. And I'm just thinking, like, oh my God, like ugh, that's like it's horrible. And that's like also just, you know, there's so many stories like this, right? About the ridiculous, mm-hmm. you know, policies that are in place here um, that don't even, you know, allow parents to 
to get to 100% or even, I don't know, 80%. I'll, I'll go back to work yeah. at 80%. Like I could, you know, it's just, it's just wild and everybody's circumstance is so different. And I think that's why like so many of your um, writings in the collection just like, just really spoke to me. It just, it resonated with me because I was like, it's like, hell yeah. You know, and then I was like, <laughs> yep. Yep. And then I was like, yes, like, just like, you know, yeah. all the affirmations, all the like, oh, uh, the agree, like agreeability that for me, like feeling it was the reading your words on the page. Um, I think that's just why. Yeah. It's so funny how you said, yeah, maybe the intensity was, was due to you feeling that pressure and, and still holding like some of, you know, you needed to have an outlet for some of what you were going through at the time. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, just your personal life, not, you know, not even including what was going on with the world at the time. It's just, you know, cause I'm right there with you. I was, I went during the pandemic. I think I found out I was pregnant with my second, maybe two weeks after um, we went into lockdown, wow. lockdown. And then like, I had been working at my job at the time for like four and a half years. And when I was like nine weeks pregnant, um, they were they were laying a bunch of people off and I was one of them. So I lost my job oh. and I was nine weeks and I was like, okay, like I was trying to I was trying to figure out what my options were and I was like, okay, do I ride unemployment until birth or do I like try to get a new job right now so that I could be employed for six months by the time I get birth? Like it's so crazy, all these like the negotiating I had to do in my head, aside from like being mortified and upset and feeling like it was the end of the world for me because I didn't know yeah. what the hell I was gonna do. It's and... a hard time to to um just because the job market then I you yeah. know I had gone to school for creative writing um thinking I wanted to be a professor and I mean COVID happened and all the jobs just disappeared and I had a temporary job at the time which was a really good job. Um it was in Arkansas but it was temporary and um I just thought, well, this, this is it. I did all of this stuff. I did it all right. I did everything right. And yeah. now because of this national circumstance, I'm like, I, I don't know, should I transition into another career? Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't, I kept applying for every available professor job. I was like, I'm not going to give up yet. I'm going to, like, I went to school for this. I'm going to keep doing it. Um, and I think the job I got here at Tennessee Tech, I'm in middle Tennessee in Cookville, and I teach at Tennessee Tech University. I mean, I think it was like one of 10 jobs mm. in my field, which is a notoriously bad field that's hard to get a job in. <laughs> it's like even worse. Um, but I, I was lucky to get this job in Tennessee. And so I moved here two and a half years ago. And so the last poems in the book are written in Tennessee. Um, the last poems are uh, specifically the poem Forms and Materials um, I did a lot of thinking about like what is it? What is a family? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Somehow, yeah. until I had a until I had a daughter, I I didn't think as much about the way how we understand families kind of constructs our whole life, really. Mm-hmm. Um, the way we interact with others, um, yeah. our station economically, and and what we're able to do as people. So it's yeah, I was sort of thinking about all that here in Tennessee, which has a rather strict state definition of family i think oh wow yeah i kind of <laughs> wanted to explore that yeah. because i know that's like a huge part of it of of being a queer single mother in the south like how mm-hmm. how did that like you're able to reflect on it now i'm guessing right but have you, are you from tennessee or were you always living in the south so you were oh, familiar yeah. with it how how did that go how did that go um, about 
Yeah, that's a great question. There's definitely some like South poems about the South in the book. Um, I'm from Pennsylvania. Okay. Originally, I grew up in Pennsylvania, um, in the center part of Pennsylvania. So not, not the city, (laughs) the (laughs) rural part. Um, And then I spent most of my young adult life in New York City. I then went to graduate school first in Oregon and then in Florida. And then since uh, 2012, you know, when I moved to Florida, I've been in the South. So I don't know. They used to say like in New York City, you can't say you're a New Yorker until you've lived there for 10 years. No. (laughs) Um, I like made it to 10 years and I left. (laughs) Now I've been in the South for 10 years. I'm like, do I get to say I'm from the South? I don't know. Um, I'm not really, I'm not like born and raised or whatever, but I think, you know, moving to Florida was one thing, but, but when I moved to Arkansas in 2019, um, my daughter would have been like, you know, a little over a year old. And that was when I was like, oh, wow, this is like white Christian fundamentalism. Like this is, this is wild out here, you know, with like, I think, think of like the Duggar family. They're from Arkansas. Mm. (laughs) Sarah Huckabee Sanders is from Arkansas. Like Arkansas is um, a beautiful, very rural state. Um, that just has some people in it who have some ideas about yeah. how to live. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a yeah. good way to put it. Like, just, just yeah. have, I'm some trying, people I'm have some ideas. Be, like, you know, kind. Um, yeah. But, yeah. but I, I definitely did not feel that I fit in with this idea of traditional family. But I also mm. think that to some extent, I had allowed a certain voice within the culture to dominate the discussion about what a family is. And that's, that's on me a little bit Mm -hmm. um, that I at first saw the kind of like loudest, you know, anti-gay, anti-trans voices and let them sort of color what, what, you know, what would, what you would imagine a whole population of people would feel like. Yeah. Um, The same is true for Tennessee. I think what's hard is that the way people in a given place may feel is not necessarily reflected by their legislators. Um, or their judges or, mm-hmm. you know, folks who are in, in whatever system of control, like the, the police or the state or the mayor or whatever, like that's not necessarily what everybody thinks. Right. Um, so I think um, part of what I've tried to do is, is actually find sources of support and just joy in, in meeting people who think like I do and who are more accepting and welcoming and those people do exist in Tennessee, <laughs> certainly, um, yeah. and in Arkansas. So, um, yeah, I think um, you're kind of right about that. Where it's just, I think the the more controversial opinions are maybe a little bit louder or a little like more. I don't know. It's hard to. I guess it depends on which side of the spectrum that you, uh, which side of the aisle you tend to lean on, um, and. I think because my 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 brother-in-law and his wife, man, I don't know, maybe five, four years ago had moved to Nashville for for her work. And I kind of like asked about that, like, you know, because we're this is from like we're in Illinois, Chicago area. So it's a bit different. But I know that, you know, that we go further down to central Illinois to more rural areas, it seems like there's you know, political, um, p- particular political leanings. And, but I, and when I asked about that, like, oh, do you guys, are you guys, is it a lot, is it a big change or is it, you see significant difference? And they said, well, 
with the met when when more like metro metropolitan areas it's more diverse it seems like it's more accepting more progressive but with the rural communities they um tend to kind of just remain stagnant in terms of that like as you said the family makeup or um hmm. you know where things what what kind of lifestyle choices really play into how they view how things should be, how laws should be, for example, you know, I think, you know, what you mentioned before, like evangelists and just certain just religions, um, highly reverent people who, who, who just believe that, you know, that what they're, what they're saying is right. And they, they have good intentions, but it's like, that's fine. You know, personally, like at the end of the day, I'm, I'm pro-choice no matter what, like it doesn't, it's, and I grew up Catholic, so it's like really hard for me to reconcile and still follow, like, you know, remain kind of just a follower of, of Catholicism or try to identify with that part of myself or who I used to be a part of myself. And so it's, it's the older I get, the more like expanding, you know, the more my life is, my life knowledge is expanding. And what I realize, like I voted Republican in certain elections before, just because, you know, they had a good track record or they seemed like solid, you know, like I I try Mm -hmm. my best to do my research, but unfortunately, like that's kind of where I draw the line. Like it's, it's, it shouldn't be black and white, but that's kind of like, that's kind of what it comes down to. It's like, it's so much more nuanced than choosing, you know, your life over a child's at the same time. It's, you know, there's so many, there's so many different situations and, and implications and it's, you can't just like put the blanket rule over it. It's just, there's, there's, there's just so many factors at play. Um, But yeah, no, I think that's interesting that, you know, you kind of had to, you know, it kind of prepared you a little bit, right? Like you were kind of used to things and you kind of knew what to expect. But when you, when you moved, it was kind of like, it didn't seem like it was a super culture shock, right? Cause you kind of like, we're already familiar with some of those extreme opinions or. Well, stuff like I that. mean, coming from Pennsylvania, I think, I don't know. It's funny. I went on, I went on a reading tour um, and I read in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where I'm from. And the poet I read with really didn't like Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, even though no. she lived there. She's a transplant there. She made a couple of comments about how people were closed minded. Oh, and that's her okay. experience of the area. Yeah. Um, for sure. Like I don't mean to say that that's not true, but but I do think that having grown up there, um, one thing I'll say for it and the positive is that I I do feel like I can talk to most people or I can find some way to have an actual conversation that's mm-hmm. that's not polemical and maybe is a little bit more human yeah um you know so and that that comes from being you know growing up there being young um having you know seeing seeing my parents my parents are fairly liberal but seeing how they interacted and were in the world yeah I mean and taught me some things and then I went to like one thing that I've tried to say about the way I use the term queer as applied to myself is it's not necessarily a thing that I would feel the need to say if I was mm. still in New York City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I do feel the need to say it here in the South, um, in, in rural Tennessee, just because it does differentiate me from from another mode of living that I, I don't want to be aligned with. Um, mm. Kind of the heteronormative, like very aggressively so um, often like 
toxic masculinity or this, I don't know, toxic femininity. I think that's real. Um, I think that's here. Um, So I'm trying to, I try to define myself in opposition to that, but I wouldn't necessarily need to do it if I was in a Northern city or somewhere like Chicago. I don't think I would really feel the inclination to. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's that it kind of makes you, yeah. Cause there's definitely been times where I'm like, it's kind of like, you know, you, when you hear details or if you hear like, Oh, a person or a woman, like, Oh, this woman was doing this, like just, just in any scenario. And I don't, I guess I don't tend to ask other questions like, Oh, what, what's her career? What was her background? Is she a mom? Is she a, a, you know, a a wife or whatever? I just, Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, it's just this woman doing this thing. But you know, that's just my, because maybe I assume it's a white who might be a mom or who might be, you know, a wife or who might be single. It's it's any mm-hmm. any number of like descriptors. Whereas, you know, upon reading a story, a a person of color might assume they just might think it's it's black. But then again, I don't know that experience, right? So that's a good point. That it's crazy how like geographically you would like adjust how you verbalize like the parts of who you are yeah Depend- yeah I like people, i think, I think people so do interesting. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, yeah so i mean the book has that thread in it lots of motherhood poems which which we we talked about a little bit um i think you know some of the poems are are reckoning with or thinking about defining my family and affirming my family as a donor conceived family yeah, uh, which was something that I really did not know how to do. I mm. had I had a narrative around single parents and single parenthood that was um, I don't know. I, I think maybe I hadn't given it a terrific amount of thought. <laughs> actually, <laughs> you know, it was um, but I but I definitely you know for a while I would get like oh, you know, poor Aaron, the single mom, and I'm like mm, I don't know, like that's not doesn't really doesn't really fit. I, I don't yeah. feel like, like a person to be pitied or who, I, I don't know. I remember once like a friend of mine, like dropped off all of this food at my house. This is in Florida. <laughs> and she's <laughs> like, well, you need it more than me. I'm uh, like, this is your like stale gluten-free crackers. <laughs> like this is not <laughs> like, like, thank you. Thank you. I think your heart's in the right place, but <laughs> I don't know. It was really strange. Um, Yeah. Like somehow in her conception, because I was a single mom, I, I was needing handouts and I was needing, um, I definitely think that, you know, single parents need to have a community and it's very helpful and and support is welcome, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, crackers. No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. I don't know if it was like, look at single parents. I'm just kind of like, Oh gosh. I think I would be like, you know, do you need like a play date? Do you need time to yourself? Do you need like mm-hmm. to do a spa day? Like what do you, because I even, I'm like, I have a, a husband and like a huge, pretty good support system. But even then I'm like, I just need like a day. Like I, I just like anytime I can spend by myself, I'm like, I just enjoy oh, it. Yeah. Like, I don't I, know what I did with the time before I had kids. Yeah. I'm like, what was I doing? <laughs> I was just like sitting there like, having thoughts watching I still watch a lot of like you know crappy tv but (laughs) (laughs) but but I'm surprised at like how 
how I did that before without even multitasking while I was doing it. It was, <laughs> I don't know. I know. I know. Cause I'm thinking like, I, I'm right there with you. I think I used to, I, I was able to better like prioritize like what I wanted, like my needs, like mm-hmm. what was important to me. Like, oh, you know, I, I I try to have a good fitness routine, but it's like now it's dependent on their schedule too. Like one, you know, I have a first grader and the toddler, he's um in preschool, but that's like part time. So I'm like, okay, if I don't make it to the gym before everyone wakes up, then <laughs> I gotta make sure I go like when everybody's not here, things like that. So it's it's one of those things like totally you you think about or you, or you forget it, right? And then it's just like yeah, like how I said, like I just I you know my my alone time or my me time um, where I'm not feeling guilty about prioritizing like my personal to do list, for example. I I cherish that so much. And then there's that if I'm doing it, like if I'm working on whatever, or if I'm reading, for example, um, and the kids, like we're all just hanging around the house with the, my husband and the kids. And I'm like, there's still that guilt of like, should I be interacting with them? Should I be doing something with them? Should we be, is there something I'm missing? Is there a house project I can get started on? Like, it almost feels like there's sense of urgency with the time that you do have now. Whereas before yeah. you kind of like, like, Oh yeah, we'll get, to, it's not, you know, it's not that important. We'll get to it later where it's like, do you feel I, like the time is going fast mm-hmm. because we have kids of roughly the same the same age, at least mm. your oldest is, is about my daughter's age. Yeah. He's six. Yeah. Yeah. I already feel like, I feel like she's really old. Getting old. <laughs> like when did you turn into a little person? Like <laughs> well, when did she turn into like a little teenager? Yeah. Yeah. She's mad at me because I won't let her wear makeup. Yeah. Oh no. Which I mean, I, See, I, you know, I'm like, I don't actually, she can wear like little kid makeup. I just, sure. I'm just like, but you're, but why? <laughs> yeah. Like what's the deeper you know what's that that's that deeper yeah. meaning here she told me that... she doesn't feel beautiful that's why Ugh. and I oh. was like oh I was like I, I sort of like was quiet and I was like I have to think about how to respond to this because, yes it's very important um, to choose yeah. the words right especially with that I think yeah and you kind of think about how you react to your own appearance right like what you say right. about yourself in front of her for sure. Cause I'll even say that like, I've got my, both of mine are boys. So um, at least for right now, I don't have to worry about that, but they, I don't know if, if, if they grow, I I'm, I'm not against men wearing makeup. Cause I, I believe that if they want to cover their blemishes, make every, you know, tweeze their eyebrows, do their hair, whatever, like some men, so it's whatever. Um, But if, yeah, I think there've been times where like, Oh, I like, oh, we're going to get ready. Okay. I just got to do my makeup and, and get dressed or whatever. And mm-hmm. my son will be like, why are you doing your makeup? Why do you want to do your makeup? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I, I think I look better with makeup on. I just, I feel better, um, you know, having my, being a little bit put together. And it's just something simple like this, like eyebrows, yeah. <laughs> you know, like eyebrows, a little bit of like covering things up, nothing too big. Um, and you know, and then, but then I started to ask, like, well, why do you not like it when I wear makeup? He's like, he's like, uh, no, not, I don't know, no, not really. He's like, I'm like, well, do you, what, you think I look fine just like this? Like, no makeup? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, so this <laughs> kind of like helps me learn. I think it maybe that grows my appreciation for myself a little bit or like just at the very basic level, he doesn't see 
he doesn't see that right so but then again it's yeah like well they're, he's, they're he's not objectifying us right. the way that we objectify ourselves yes, yes. <laughs> and that's what's um, like it's worry worrisome about um you know your daughter yeah. saying i don't feel this is what's gonna help me feel that way yeah i don't i i'm trying to figure out too she's very um She's very complex. I don't know whether she heard. I don't know if she heard. I don't feel beautiful mm. from television. I don't know. Yeah. She heard it from someone at school. I yeah. I don't know. Um, she didn't hear it from me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do wear makeup, but maybe maybe I implied it without saying it. But yeah, I mean, it's I uh, dedicated both my books to my daughter. My first one um, that I wrote before she was born but I knew what her name would be, you know? Um, And then the second one, which is more about her, um, the cover actually, it's like two figures on the cover in a kind of sculptural box. Yeah. Um, It's a sculpture done by my friend, um, Ever Baldwin. And when I saw it, I I always thought it was two, two figures, like a dyad, but other people have told me they think it looks like an owl. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I saw that too. But I think I saw the owl, owl first, and then I saw the two figures. The yeah, longer I looked it's at it. definitely two. In my mind, I can't. Now I see the owl, but I, I yeah. saw the two figures at first. And and the book, um, I liked it because the book is is obsessed with with twos and couples. It's the couple of me and my daughter, but also the fact that I'm I'm uncoupled. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, people don't always know what to do with me. <laughs> Um, yeah, at least I, I, I noticed that. I mean, that would be, that would be the case no matter where I lived. That would be the case if I was getting invited to dinner parties in Brooklyn. People would be like, where do we sit the single girl? (laughs) Mm, Yeah, that's true. Um, That's true. But, but yeah. Um, and a lot of the poems are in couplets. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I was really drawn to writing in couplets. Um, so then uh, is your background like in poetry like is that your specialty or were you just kind of you just kind of explored and thought that this was the best way to to um you know express express your your thoughts and your writings poetry has been what i've been focused on um for a very long time i mean since since undergrad Mm -hmm. so um i probably first started writing when i was like 16 Mm -hmm. um i've written some nonfiction. I've written like feature articles for magazines and I've written like, I filled out a lot of like bureaucratic forms, <laughs> like, <laughs> like all the writing that goes along with applying for grants or like yeah. a marketing proposal or just all this kind of writing that, that you have to do. That's like non, non-creative, but, but right. intellectual. Um, I've done a lot of that, but poetry was always like where I felt like I could best think about and talk about like existential things that, that mm. I wanted to think about and talk about that really like either bothered me or compelled me or interested me. Mm. Um, and I, I think, I think the reason I like poetry is that poems tend to be shorter. They have a more kind of like, um, you can sort of develop them as much or as little as you want in terms of length, but also in terms of like narrative quality. Mm. Um, so if you want, if you want to write something that's like an association of images or just has like a little snapshot kind of element to it, you can do that in a poem. Right. I think in prose, 
suppose we have different expectations for what we want out of a story and certainly what we would want out of a longer story. Right. Um, so you have, you have more freedom that way, but you have maybe less freedom when it comes to um, poetry to me is all about patterns too, like metrical and sonic patterns. So yeah, I studied mm. that um, as a graduate student. <laughs> um, Do you know, like the back of your hand by now, you're just kind of like, you could kind um, of identify a little bit, like how, like what you're going to use or no. Yeah. Yeah. I was explaining it to my students, like, like, cause sometimes I'll read their work and I'm like, oh, this feels like it should be, you need a longer line here, or this feels like it should be in quatrains or like, I can say things like that with, I guess, some kind of authority. Um <laughs> I mean, I don't know. They could always be like, you're wrong. You're right. <laughs> but but it, it comes from like, you know, I think essentially when you're writing, say you're writing a sonnet, like there's two poems in this book that I would call sonnets. You're sort of writing a sonnet, but behind that sonnet is all the other sonnets you've ever read and mm. all the expectations of those sonnets and how they were made. And so they inform, they inform what you end up writing yourself. Right. Um, which, I mean, you could say that that's true of, of a novel, for instance, every other novel you've read is informing the novel you're writing or mm-hmm. in, informing what you think of the novel you're currently reading. Uh, but I think with poetry, there's certain markers, like in terms of a type of line. I don't know any other formal element to it. Yeah, kind of like the layout and what you choose. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, that's how, what I how realized. It looks on the page. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't realize, I think like the more poetry collections I read, the more I realize how, yeah, like it's not just, you know, because I, I studied um English in undergrad. And so I, you know, studied these little, I don't know what you want to call them, um, different components of what English literature can be and, and different forms and all that um, and how different stories, different things are delivered. Um, and I think, yeah, like I, I realize it's so much more than, you know, these few that I was familiar with. It's, it's, there's so much more to it. And I don't want to say there's like a lot of freedom in poetry, but there is kind of, it's kind of like, Mm -hmm. there's the freedom. It depends on, on what, I guess it's just not as rigid as I thought it was because just the more poetry I read, um, like, I don't know if you've, you've heard of, uh, Ananda Lima where she, um, yeah, I really I have interviewed her um I think a couple years ago it was or or a year and a half ago. And I just she you could tell she had a lot of fun with playing like playing around with words and the layout and and the delivery and it's she wanted to have she wanted her readers to have fun too. That, that at least that was like really clear where she and she's like a lovely person but cuz she was like an immigrant but she was raising an american son and so that mm-hmm. was kind of like her, her motherland collection that was kind of like the focus of that and i just thought that was like not like though not only so fascinating like the way that she you know kind of explored that and delivered that message but also i was like oh i didn't i didn't realize that this is also a form of poetry and this is also a form of poetry and this mm-hmm. is also like they're different you know, poetry is a bigger umbrella than I thought it was. And so when I was like picking up your collection at first, I was like, oh, cool. Like I can, you know, read this and explore a little bit. And then, you know, it's a nice break in between reading novels. Right. But then I was like, like, oh, like I should 
like I found myself kind of slowing down and like really taking in everything. And I think that's, that's part of the point, right? Cause you're just like, yeah, it's thank, not thank so you like for doing that. Yeah. No. <laughs> Whenever I sign poems to my students, I'm always like, now I know it looks like it's just a page, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but you have to read it. Like it's more than a page. Like you yeah. have to account for like that time. Exactly. Um, Cause it's going to take you longer to get through. Yeah. Um, or to I get what think, you're trying to get out of it, right? Yeah. I, I mean, it's like I whenever I talk about prose writing, I never want to make like generalizations because I, I feel like I can hear like, you know, some friend of mine who's a prose writer being like, no, that's not true. <laughs> um, we have we have attention to word choice. Words are very carefully determined in our work, you know, but but like I, I do feel like especially metrically like where a word lands and then what the word means and also the sound of the, like, I don't, it's weird because I know how to teach that sort of, because yeah. I, <laughs> I do teach classes in poetry, but I don't, don't really know how to like teach it um, in that if you're going to write, it's, it's really best to like read as much as you can, because that's, that's how you'll get it. Yeah. Um, you'll get it and you'll get it over like years. Like yeah. it'll take you like, I don't know. Sometimes I think the poems I'm writing now, it's like frustrate. I wish I could have written them earlier. I'm always like surprised by these like ingenue, like wonderkind kind of young writers, you know, but then, or, yeah. then I'm like, mm, that's, that's something unusual. I mean, it's most not like of the us, norm. you don't want to, you don't want to set that as your bar, right? Yeah. I mean, we're grinding <laughs> away, you know, eventually you get to a point where you've read enough and you've written enough and, and you feel like, like, um, I remember at one point, one of my teachers saying like, you know, you want to get to a point where you don't have to bring the poem to a teacher. Mm. <laughs> you want to be able to like critique it and figure out how to revise it yourself. Or you want to have like a trusted reader who's a friend. I don't know why I'm like, here's how to write. I don't even know. Just kind of like expanding on you know this whole um like well no because I, I was saying how like poetry I didn't realize how how expansive it could be how big the umbrella yeah. is but it's like you're like well well funny you should ask <laughs> <laughs> well also like I think um another question that sometimes comes up is how do you arrange the book mm-hmm. which there's no I don't know how to tell people how to do that necessarily yeah yeah um because it's not to me, it doesn't feel as linear as, as fiction editing. Um, I think right. there's like essentially, I mean, maybe this is, again, don't want to generalize, but it seems like there's more ways to answer answer the question. Mm. I think if I would have put the poems in this book in a different order, they would feel like a different yeah, a different book. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know? It just depends on... I mean, nobody would know better than you, right? It's like kind of instinct. It's like, I can I can see how it would be hard to articulate that. Like, mm-hmm. what was your reasoning? Like, I don't know, it just felt like it should be this way. It's just like, there you know. <laughs> That's why people call poets, we're not, like not rigorous. We just sort of like run around, like <laughs> just spitting out poems. I don't know, but. <laughs> <laughs> if only they knew. There's if, more yeah, work if only they that knew goes how hard into it. Was. <laughs> right, yeah, definitely. With your previous works or like with your professional career, you know, the articles that you've written, how, how's this experience like, uh, changed or different from, from what you're used to, what you've done in the past? Were there any skills that you found were, you know, transferable? Were there any big lessons learned? Things like that? Yeah, I would say that, um, probably, yeah, it was easier to write a second book having written a first book. 
in that I like had experience, you know, sounds like so reductive, but like if you've never changed a tire the first time, it's really hard. And then the second time it's still hard, but you're like, I did this before. And maybe it's just that you did it before, but but that lent my decisions a kind of confidence, I guess. Um, I think I wanted to, I think with second books, sometimes people try to write different second. Mm. They want their second book to feel very different from the first book. And I think I, I did that with this book because the first book, Barn Burner, um, it was very thematic and it was a really, someone else called it a chaotic book. And I do think it's a chaotic book because nothing ever gets resolved. You're like, everything is horrible. And then more horrible things happen. (laughs) And then it's still horrible. Whereas this book, I wanted there to be like (laughs) um, a a little bit of a progression where the speaker kind of learns something. um, (laughs) Or, or people feel like they've gone along on a little bit of a journey. Um, so I wanted, I wanted a contrast in the kind of book. I think what's also helped me is I, when I worked in New York, I worked as in marketing and publicity. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of things that I sort of ways of packaging information, I think maybe come out in the book that I might think of differently if I had never done that kind of work like I'm always Mm. really conscious of a reader um I mean a lot of poets are but but I think I might be extra so um just because so much of the marketing writing I did and communication writing I did was very focused on on what what effect it would have yeah um I'm not really even though I said that I kind of wrote the book because I wanted to get it out and I felt this kind of intense need to to say these things I also like I don't think I ever did that without a consciousness of of a reader, and and so I think I think that might come from from marketing. Yeah, yeah, I work in marketing bit. now, and that's a good point. Where it's like you're thinking, yeah, you're you're focused on um, the user, the at the receiver of the information for mm-hmm. sure, and that's yeah, that's a good way to that's definitely a good point, like transferring that over, making you pay a little more attention to that. Yeah. Or like, what is their experience of Mm -hmm. the text? So like when it comes to ordering a book, like I'll read it out loud a bunch of times to myself and I'll read like, how does it, how does it sound and feel to end one poem and then start the next poem? And does that feel right? You know, or does that, does it feel like I need to have another poem there or, or move a poem from somewhere else? Poets don't often like get together and talk about how we do this, but, (laughs) but that's how I do it. I mean, I read the book to myself like over and over again until I feel like very sick of it, but (laughs) I'm I'm trying to figure out how the reader at home, not that, not that readers even read poems in order one after another. I mean, you skip around with titles. So, but if, if someone were to read it one poem after the other, how would that feel? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, it's a silly, maybe a silly comparison, but like maybe how an artist might arrange their title tracks, you know, like the -hmm. songs that they produce on the whole album, like if they, there's a method to the madness, right? Like they are presenting the listener um, with, in the order that they envision, but you know, so many listeners will put it on shuffle or add it, add it to a playlist, things like that. Um, I think Adele was the one who, you know, who's kind of spoke out about it against Spotify, where she was like, well, no, there's like a reason we put it in this order, you know, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. I mean, I I come from the 
the like generation of mixtapes too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like there's some songs from like the 90s that I hear and like the last part of one song it has to lead into the next part of the se- second yeah. song because that's the way I heard it every time. So yeah, I agree with Adele, but I also <laughs> I also, so I read books for the interview series that I do. Um, which is called Not Abandoned But Abide. It's a series of women and genderqueer poets of the South. And I'll try to read the book straight through kind of like as I think the the writer would want it. But that's, I definitely get more excited when I see a title that I'm like, oh, this is gonna be juicy or like <laughs> something is gonna draws me to one poem or another. Um, yeah. 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 I could kind of see that. Yeah, it's that's like all those little things that you don't think about, maybe that that go into, you know, from concept to completion, like just yeah. like <laughs> maybe making that finished project. Um, so just a couple more questions before yeah. we wrap up here. Oh, God, I feel like we could get like get into it. But OK, so <laughs> so a lot of like the language that um, was surrounding this collection was like your rejection of acceptable losses, right? Like Mm -hmm. the, from the inequalities of, you know, any of those categorizations that, um, you know, put, put us in certain, certain classes or whatever, whether it's gender or race, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So can you like expand on that concept? Like how, like, did this, did this process kind of like help you heal or help you kind of just move forward or, or maintain, your sanity, you know, maybe a little bit just to kind of like, you know, power through and, you know, just work, work around like what you're realizing, you know, in your new role as a mom, for example, like, I guess, like, how did you, how, how were you like um, able to identify those? And, and was this a way for you to like rebel against it? Things like that. I just kind of like want to explore kind of like what your, what your mode, like, you know, like the kind of energy you were putting into this collection. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so much of it was also written during COVID where I felt like there was like, there was all this language around usefulness mm. and essentialness and like expendability. Yeah. And like, it was kind of like, at one point it felt like, oh, okay, if you're like older and you have asthma or diabetes, just, you know, like, go away. <laughs> like, I mean, the real, I, I do have asthma and my mom has diabetes. So maybe that hit me, maybe that one hit me particularly hard, but, but I was like, just thinking about that. And I was like, oh, this is like part of the discourse. It's just like accepted, but it's always been beneath the surface, yeah. you know, like COVID just kind of like brought it out. And then that made me think about how I was, I was like, maybe realizing some things about families and how they're constructed, valued or not. Yeah. Um, at the same time. And so I think, you know, any, anyone, like if you're having some sort of like realization that is like difficult <laughs> or you're like, I don't like this, this is not great. Um, yeah. Then what do you, what do you really do with that? I mean, I think with this book, what I wanted to do is, is at least in, as far as, you know, myself, like to say, like, I don't like, you know, get, get your narratives about what a single mom is off of me. (laughs) Like I want to define what a single parent is, or I'm going to define what my family is myself, which I'm a writer. So that would be like the tendency for me to do that or to want to do that. Um, But 
you know, on one hand, it feels kind of empowering. On on the other hand, it, in some ways, because because it seemed like we had this kind of like drumbeat of like, I don't know. I, I, I still think that like our whole country has not even like healed or understood what happened during COVID at all Yeah. in terms of the way we felt about each other and what we did. But I think, so I think there's like, I think there's like a reckoning there, but even to me, like writing some of the stuff down um, and like documenting, like documenting it, even like being a witness in my own life, seemed important to do Mm. Um, because I think a lot of our memories, I have this poem on death parade, which is about, it's a long prose poem that relates September 11th to COVID. And then I have another poem death parade that relates it to the great depression. But in both of those, I was thinking about how the construction of, of tragedy, like how we build something of it. And we, we, and then we're like, Oh, this is, this is what September 11th is, or this is what COVID is. But like inside of it, there's all these experiences um, that either are forgotten or not. So yeah, yeah, there's definitely that impulse to like, you know, I'm not like, and again, it's just me. I'm not like recording everyone's experience, Yeah. (laughs) Um, but at least the pieces of it and the details of it that I could see. Yeah. I like that term used. It was like, observing your own life is that was i think that's what she said yeah i like that because i mean i I don't journal as much as i used to but i i'll find like words that i've written from even just like as a teenager i still have some of my journals my diaries and and i'll come across them and i'm i'm just like oh okay (laughs) like this is (laughs) remarkable how many things like maybe are like in your your memory based on just like how it naturally fades through time or what you remember from it based on Mm -hmm. like, but versus what you see like on, on the page, like what was written in real time. I think that's like so powerful. Like it's not just like the, the, the recounting what um, had happened, but also how you were feeling at the time. Right. And, and a particular, like this particular situation pissed you off or you were feeling really upset or you're feeling lost or you were feeling like content and happy. And it's, you don't always remember that part of those events. Right. And, or maybe it's a little muddled from time. It's a little, something's lost there. So I think that's really powerful to like kind of observing, observing yourself and then, you know, kind of like looking back at your words and being like, there's something here, you know, there's something here kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really cool. All right. So what were the most challenging pieces to write? And then what were the most enjoyable pieces to write? Okay. Yeah. Enjoyable is a weird word um, <laughs> to apply to this book. <laughs> um, I think, I think I definitely enjoyed writing the poems that are related to the nineties. So there's the poem, the nineties, there's also a poem called Three Weeks, which is about Nicole Brown Simpson, which required a lot of research into Nicole Brown Simpson. Um, there's the poem Retail Requiem, which is about like retail stores in central Pennsylvania and their like slow decline mm. um, over my childhood. To some extent, even I, you know, it sounds horrible, but but when I when I did discover that I could use September 11th to write about COVID September 11th, um, despite having been in New York at the time. And it, yeah. was, it was such a critical thing that shaped so much in the 20s. Yeah. I think it was, quote, you know, enjoyable. I don't know, if, again, maybe not the right word, but I felt like a great sense of like achievement. Yeah. Finally writing about it. 
writing writing some of the motherhood poems um, were were sweet. Writing poems about like looking for jobs and not being able to find them or going through humiliating interview experiences as I did. Yeah. Um, those felt good to write as well from like a like, I don't know, not like I'm getting revenge on anyone by writing a poem, but <laughs> some, yeah. somehow being like this thing happened and it was fucked up felt yeah. good, to, good to verbalize. I think, I think the hard, the hardest thing would be um, writing about poems that like writing things that were like, that didn't make that actually found out what they were by writing through them. Mm. One would be the poem um, at the child support office, uh, which is yeah. the second poem in the book, and is is a, I mean, it's pretty much based on something that happened to me, but that I had a lot of trouble processing. Which um, is just that, basically, I had to go get. There was a bureaucratic glitch, and someone's name was put on my daughter's birth certificate in the father blank, and I had to go get it removed mm-hmm. and. How do you prove that someone is not the father of your child is a really interesting question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that poem kind of deals with that. I wrote that um, for the first time right after the experience. That was the first poem I wrote after my daughter was born because okay. I wrote it soon after that experience. But it wasn't right. It wasn't. It, it took a long time to get that one. Mm. I think some of the poems that I wrote about being uncoupled were difficult to write because even though it's such a theme in the book, it's just taken me very a very long time to figure that out myself. Um, like Forms and Materials, the long poem, was the last poem I wrote. And I had wanted to write a poem like that. But um, with those kind of poems, I think it's it's like discovering what is what is like the frame I'm going to hang this on all of these mm. thoughts. And in this case, I decided to think about platonic forms. Like what is what is the ideal of of a woman or what is the ideal of a mother or the ideal family um, when people think of these things? Right. Um, and then what are the materials of your life which either contradict or affirm that kind of ideal? So once I found that idea, it became much easier to write about it. I had fun doing research into like various like bullshit things people have said about marriage over time, <laughs> like legal, legal definitions of marriage. I'm like, you all are totally weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I think like in like 16th century Britain, like I don't know what happened to men. Maybe with Elizabeth, maybe they were all like, what is this queen? Yeah. Um, you know, like we have to be like super toxic legal legal theory around marriage there was kind of kind of wacky what was one of the most like outlandish definitions or things that you learned while you were doing the the research for that well i mean the quote i think the quote is in there the very being and legal existence of the woman is suspended during the marriage or at least is incorporated into that of her husband under whose wing and protection she performs everything (laughs) so like that's basically saying you are nothing right? without, without your husband or yeah. like your husband has complete ownership, not just over what you, it's not just what you do, but your entire being almost yeah, like, like you know, hu- human beings are like, that's what women are reduced to in that right. relationship. And but only it's, I mean, it's modeled on the God to human kind of like the patriarch is, is, is a God in the marriage, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And then when I was writing this poem was when um, I was like literally finishing it in a cafe. And then the, the Dobbs versus Jackson thing happened. Like mm. I was like, I was like, really? Right yeah. now? Right. I mean, I'm glad on one hand, because I sort of added pieces of that into the poem. Like the poem does address Amy Coney Barrett at one point. Good times. I wonder if she'll notice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Some feminist we'll wrote a poem about me. What the, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> she's going to be really upset. Um, oh, but... I'm going to track you down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I read also um, Mary Wollstonecraft's um, Vindication of the Rights of Women, uh, which was an argument for women to have education Yeah, uh, back in the day. But yeah. uh, so that goes in that poem. Um, I also read a little bit of the Malleus Maleficarum, which is the, the kind of witch hunting screed of the I don't know what decade that was, probably the 1600s. Maybe yeah, earlier. I was going to say, I mean, yeah. all this crazy. I know it's like if you look at the big picture of like how women have been treated, it's just like, <laughs> it's like what? Okay, so some you're a little bit eccentric. Uh, you're probably just crazy. <laughs> it, it can't be like some underlying like anxiety. No, that's not a thing. You just need to like rest and listen to your husband or like, <laughs> you know, just like if, if anything, you know, it's like, oh, she's a witch. She's a witch. Like what? <laughs> no. Well, I'm pretty sure if, if, you know, that kind of thing still existed, I'm, I'm like, you know, would be like number one <laughs> on the, on the witch, like, let's go get her, let's go get her and take her away. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad, I'm glad it's not, you know. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I would just be like, <laughs> wait, what? Or I don't know. I it makes you want to like, laugh too, right? Like, it's like it are you guys serious? I know. It's like, <laughs> you guys are idiots. Like, what? Like, you don't know what to do with a woman. No, just mind your own business. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, just leave her alone. Yeah. She's just being old out there. Yeah, like, just, just let her the be the... the village. Just let her yeah. go. <laughs> Seriously, just let her be the, the quirky, like, you know, village hag, whatever you want to call her. Like, just yeah. let, let her be. It's fine. Unless, like, is she trying to... I don't know. There's, like, there's a whole, a whole big picture of going on there, like, what their motivations were. I think yeah. it's just, like, fear. You know, trying to, con- it's all about control. And even still going on today, I'm just, like, I don't know. That's why when people were, like, you know, so against, like, with the Game of Thrones and, and how, I don't know how familiar you are, you are with the storyline, but mm-hmm. they're, mad, like, oh, Matt, like, why'd she go crazy? Like, oh, she's not my favorite anymore. I'm, like, no, nah, I'm behind her. Like, burn it down. Like, just, like, <laughs> down with everyone. Screw everything. Like, you yeah. have been, you know, it's just, like, I am i don't know. When it comes to, like, I just think the chaos is, I don't know, maybe I'm just a little bit of a troublemaker where I'm, like, an advocate for it. I'm, like, yeah, screw them. You go, girl. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. There is that aspect of the show. Game of Thrones is sort of like a reckoning with female power, mm-hmm. where it's like let's let's watch the whole world go crazy. Yeah, because of Cersei and Daenerys. <laughs> yeah, and so I know um, it's like oh, yeah. bitches be crazy. It's like yeah, but <laughs> these mediocre men were like just all over the place too. It's like come yeah. on, like. <laughs> So, I mean, I think I think things that are difficult or re- that require a lot of sources are kind of fun to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the English not, person in you where you just like the research, you know, yeah, you, kinda, like, you nerd out a inspiring. little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, plus, you know, I, I think like being being inspired by something or wanting to write about something. I mean, 
some people don't don't have that or you know they have writer's block they're looking for it and they can't find it so when i find something that kind of snags me and i want to write about it i'm like yeah i'm not putting this i mean this will not be wasted yeah (laughs) i'm gonna write about this (laughs) so yeah yeah perfect i know you just have to like as long as you're able to identify it pocket pocket it for when you're ready Mm -hmm. to sit down with it yeah absolutely Um, okay. So Aaron Hoover, what are you working on next? Or, or you, any, any new projects that you could talk about? Well, I, I just published a small, like limited run chat book called Dear Daddy. Um, it's actually all sold out. So it's oh. not even necessarily worth mentioning, except okay. that <laughs> it is, well, it is a book about, um, it, I want to expand it into something longer because it's about like, what is, what is a father? Mm. Um, what is essentially, I felt like, in this book, I was writing around that a little bit um, because I wanted to write about the absence of a father, but not to position it as absence. But what really is a father? Yeah. Um, or not, not, you know, I'm not talking about my dad or I'm not talking about like a theoretical missing person um, for my daughter. But like, yeah, what is that? What is that role? I just think feel like it's really. It's big because in some ways it structures that 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 is the thing that you know it comes it comes from lineage and capitalism and inheritance Mm. like like that's the core structure of how we live is this idea of inheritance and the father yeah so i want to write about that a little bit um and the chat book does have have some poems about that that's really Um, cool that's really powerful i could see how you you know you found those the other side of the conversation, right. Or another part mm-hmm. of the conversation about yeah. what you were doing with no, uh, no spare people. Well, I want the books. I mean, all of them, all of them, there's two, but maybe, you know, <laughs> whatever future books, um, maybe they could be in conversation with one another or some kind of continuum. Yeah. Um, I, I think my sense is that a lot of writers with multiple collections try to do that. Or they want to do that. Um, it's not like you just completely turn the page on the ideas you were working on and you're like, right. okay, figure that one out. I'm done with that. Uh, <laughs> it's more like, how do I look at this from another angle? So I'm interested in writing about that. I've also wanted to, for a long time, write a creative nonfiction piece about the process of having my daughter, um, which was was a wild ride. I mean, yeah. I bet. Uh, because I was, I, you know, no one was asking me to have a kid. <laughs> sort of like no one was asking me to write poetry. Like it's, you know, I was yeah. like, no, I'm, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this happen. So then I, then I did. Yeah. you. Oh, I imagine that's one hell of a journey <laughs> as well. That's another like piece for us. Could be therapeutic, you know, you can reflect <laughs> on it now that there, maybe there's a little bit um, like a safer space, like your space, you know, uh, you're, you spend enough time away from that emotion, you know, around that. Also, time I know where... so much about fertility medicine. It feels like I should do something with all of this yeah. information. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. Isn't it like life events, like how much more like you learn just by, you know, starting, a, a journey and it's just like oh so there's like this whole world of things that now i'm i'm gonna be a like an expert on it's yeah yeah, yeah. It's for a while i feel like i was the friend everyone talked to about infertility oh okay um which i was not i did not experience infertility i have pcos okay. polycystic ovarian syndrome but i but i don't have infertility and so 
but often it was like women wanted to talk to me and their experience was different because they had a partner or a husband. And I'm like, mm. no, well, mine is sort of different. I mean, I can tell you what I know about seeing doctors and such, but. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's my birth. The whole thing was very different um, when, you, <laughs> when you have a sperm donor. So. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I can um, imagine. I mean, I could only speculate. I don't know what that's like. I just, well, I didn't I know, know anything about it. And so I decided to do it. And then I had to yeah. find out about it. Yeah. Um, people ask me some questions where I'm like, how is that even a question? But then it was probably pretty close to questions that I had at the time. Yeah. Before I found out about it. So. Yeah. You don't think to ask it until you're like, oh, wait, what is, I don't, you encounter it and then you realize mm-hmm. like, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm just, I was like thinking of it. Like there's so many, you know, it's just, that's such a good point where it's like you, there's kind of a lawn, a line that's drawn there where, yeah, you're experiencing it, but it's, there's that, like you two are experiencing the same thing almost or want to like are, are embarking on that journey, the same journey, but it's going to be so much different for you versus a person who has a partner and you know mm-hmm. who what's their reason I mean, there are different struggles process. i'm not saying yeah. it's, it's like a not yeah absolutely like mine is a struggle and everyone else has it easy it's just like Mm-mm. i think having yeah. a baby and a couple is is difficult as well yeah so yeah, yeah. i mean I, I I can't, you know, I always try to be sensitive about that because, you know, like I said, knock on wood, like my, my pregnancies have been, um, you know, business as usual. So, but mm-hmm. I think that's why I kind of just like find that whole, any, everybody's journey is different, right? Like mm-hmm. whether they've had to, um, have intervention, whether they've struggled with infertility, whether they're like a single parent, like, or, or, you know, even their reasons for, for wanting children or the kind of parent that they're going to be. It's, it's mm-hmm. all, it's to me, it's now that I became, now that I'm a mom, I find it a little more fascinating than when, before I, before I became a mom. Cause otherwise I just wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about that, but now I'm like, Oh gosh, that's horrible. What was your, you know, like people I tell find, me their experiences. Mother's, mother's day is a lot weirder as a day, <laughs> you know, yeah. like before it seemed sort of benign to me, but now now I'm like, man, this day is like made yeah. for us all to like struggle with. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. And it's like, who's, you know, it, it's like, who's, you know, mothers are usually the ones that are planning and delegating and like, you know, executing uh, things like parties or presents or, or, or days, you know, and excursions, whatever you want to call them. But with, when it comes to mothers, I'm just, I don't know. I've straight up just been like, can I just get like a night to myself? Can I do like a staycation in a hotel nearby? Like, just like, like not even just to like, just, just sit in bed, watch TV, relax, like, and just have some time to myself, read my book, whatever, like have a bottle of wine to myself. You know, it's just like things like that where I'm just, can I just have like four hours to myself? Like that would be the (laughs) biggest, the biggest gift that you can give me. You're spend it with your children. Yeah, <laughs> like mother, I love you. I know, <laughs> but I'm like, but is this a gift? Because I like, you know, my gift. Like, because I was like, the children. Like, I spend all the time with them. I like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the last year we did, um, they met me at the hotel and and they had a pool, so it, we spent the rest oh. of the day there. Yeah, so it was. I had a night to myself, and then they met with me afterwards and they were pool. So that was really nice. So things mm-hmm. like that, where I'm like, yeah, we can spend some time together if I can like get my me time because i i don't know i'm at the point where i don't really it's really hard to think of things that i want 
you know, and I'm like, well, right. If, well, when you you're know, an adult, you can just buy your own things. Yeah. Yeah. Usually. Or if somebody's like really <laughs> thoughtful, but I don't want to have to yeah. like spell it out for you. Right. You know, I could use like a new whatever, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, for me that like, I think time is just as valuable as like anything else, you know, in some way, Mother's Day is related to Valentine's Day too, right? Mm-hmm. Like all the stress around Valentine's Day. Yeah. Performing Valentine's Day. Yeah. Thing for Valentine's Day, it's like that. Well, it's also that's also my birthday, so my poor husband is like, <laughs> you know what? I don't get anything for Valentine's Day, and I gotta make it twice as awesome for you. And I'm like, I don't care about Valentine's Day. I've just grown up at being my birthday, so I get yeah. like love no matter what, right? Like I don't care if, if people splash me with hearts and chocolate. You know, I'm just like, oh, okay, thank you. You know, but now. I, I um try to with him and my two kids, I try to like have, you know, buy them a cute little something like because mm-hmm. they're you know, like happy Valentine's Day, like a card and like a, you know, I don't know, a cake pop or something like that, or like a cute little cupcake, things like that, where like they, they would get yeah. excited and it's cute and they have they have their own little cards and stuff. Like I it I've I've been able to pull that off a couple of times and it's I think one time one year I made um like I don't know, where you could do like uh pepperoni like pe- like pepperoni roses like little pre- pizza bites oh where gosh. you could like yeah where i'm like so you could like put out like a crescent roll and then you line up pepperoni with like a okay. little bit of sauce and then you roll it um so that it when it's baked it kind of like it looks like a, like a rose so i gave him like a little <laughs> plate of that yeah and he I, the way to my man's heart is is through food for sure no, so that's he was very sweet. <laughs> yeah so he was cu- he was cute and excited about yeah. it but it was you know i was just like i don't know how these are going to turn out like <laughs> <laughs> i know so, yeah. i know they could be like as soon as i try to cook things and they're like they don't come out like the picture yeah he's like hashtag nailed it you know like (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's so funny um okay well aaron hoover uh this was such a fun (laughs) conversation very lengthy like i know yeah this was i i always really enjoyed um digging into your brain and your personal (laughs) life and your struggle and i appreciate your authenticity and how um yeah just how powerful this collection was and it resonated it resonated with me but i also think maybe um people who aren't mothers or who aren't queer or um hey don't aren't can't relate maybe they would also i think find it just as powerful maybe they need to hear hear other experiences you know so um but yeah no spare people is available now um where can we find you online and on social media? Uh, my website is AaronHooverPoet.com. And on X, I'm at Aaron Hoover. And on Instagram, it's at the Aaron Hoover. Perfect. Um, we think those are probably the main things. I'm also on Blue Sky. Again, okay. just Aaron Hoover. Former marketing person, I snagged, <laughs> snagged them as soon as they became available. Yeah, um, yeah. That's the best way to find me. But I also, I mean, it's all on my link tree, which is backslash Aaron Hoover. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah. So yeah, if we they search for your uh, website, they should be able to find you. Yeah, like yeah. Everything yeah. is linked from the website. Perfect. So, okay. Yeah, but well, do well, th- um, I do have public social accounts, so you know, feel free to follow me, and I'll follow you back. Yeah, perfect. Absolutely. And yeah, all that good stuff. When we when we get this stuff out, we'll make sure to include the links in the show notes and tag okay. you and all that good stuff. But yeah, thank you so much. And, um, you know, feel free to come back if you, you're ever working on anything else in the future. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you so much, Megan.
And there you go. That was Erin Hoover talking about No Spare People, um, her collection of poetry that is available now. Rate, review, subscribe. Go ahead and check out the show notes uh, where links where you can purchase her book and also find her online and on social media. While you're perusing social media, please go ahead and find a Cantina Book Club as well. Um, stay up to date by following the website. If you need any book recommendations, check out my book reviews at cantinabookclub.com. If you are liking a book, go ahead and um, Hop on over to Goodreads and Amazon, and you can. A great way to support the authors is to give them a rating or review. It really does help them out. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening.